I'm going I'm to I'm going to skip our in our reviews and just pick up uh, just pick up where I want to go today. Um, we've been looking at let's read um, let's first read Proverbs chapter one verse seven just to anchor us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so let's pray. Father, we just commit this time into your hands and ask that you would guide us and lead us into all truth. Lord, these, these messages are, mo- are much more instructional than they are exhortational. I pray that you would teach us um, what is truth, what is true knowledge. And so we, we ask you, Lord, to bless this time and help us to pursue you in truth. We ask you in Jesus' name, amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and we, 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 we began to just, just lay the groundwork that, um, um, of the importance of the fear of the Lord. And we define what the fear of the Lord is, and we did that. I'm not going to review that. But then we began to ask the question, what is knowledge? You know, if the fear of the Lord, right? So the fear of the Lord is a profound and overwhelming sense of a fear, fear-filled awe. There is real fear of the greatness of God and the wonder of, um, of his power. And so, but then we began to ask, what, what, is, what, is, what is knowledge? And we began to look at the biblical, biblical characteristics of knowledge. And this is, these messages are much more instructional, teaching you uh, the word of God as opposed to exhorting you to certain behavior. Right? Preaching does all of the above, right? We preach, we teach. And these messages are, are, are designed to teach us Think uh, ab- about the scriptures that will hopefully, all of it is meant to change us. All of it is meant to help us to grow. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what kind of knowledge, right? I- is the fear of the Lord the beginning of baseball knowledge, plumbing knowledge? No. Electrical knowledge? No. Is the fear of the Lord the, the knowledge of anything? No. Is There's a specific kind of knowledge that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of. And so we wanted to get at what the Bible says about knowledge. And we have said, uh, we have said, you could go straight to the, to the sermon slide, Alexander. We're just going to go through this very quickly. Uh, biblical, um, uh, what is knowledge? Biblical knowledge is personal. Uh, it's very personal. Um, biblical knowledge is moral, right? You know, you can click on it. Um, it's moral, right? It's experiential. It's relational. So just, you know, we've gone through that. Um, it's personal. It deals with you. Knowledge, true knowledge deals with you. There's no knowledge that doesn't have to do with you. You're going to be dealt with, all right? Uh, it's moral. It's going to hold you accountable, right? True knowledge is going to hold you accountable. You know, if you know one plus one is two, great. If you don't know, if, if you think it's three, you know, no harm done, right? You're not, you're not held accountable for one plus one is two, right? Um, but true biblical knowledge will hold you accountable. It's experiential. You experience. You don't, in order for you to acquire true knowledge, you have to experience it. It's not just intellectual. It's not just I read it in a book, right? It, it, it's, it's something that you experience in truth. True biblical knowledge is experiential. Uh, it's relational. It's relational. It's in the context of community. It's in the context of interacting with one another that true knowledge comes out of that engagement. And then today, today we'll look at another another piece of this. 
true knowledge. There's a slide there. I, I think I have, um, if, you, if you go further up, there's a sermon slide. Uh, true knowledge is spiritual. All right, so now keep going. Next slide. You go to the next slide. There we go. It click, press click again. Um, biblical knowledge is spiritual. This is a, now this is a vast topic, um, so we'll maybe do it in two parts because I don't want to spend too much time today. Personal, it's moral, it's experience, it's right, and it's spiritual. Spiritual. I know a lot of people struggle with this. What is spiritual? Um, so we you know, obviously we don't, we can't we can't. I'm not gonna. Get, I'm not going to try and you know, explain everything, but look at Colossians 1.9, Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all what? Spiritual wisdom and understanding. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There's a knowledge, right? Uh, pro Paul um, says that the substance of true knowledge is in a wisdom and an understanding that is spiritual. Now, for some of you, this might be news, this might be a review for some of you. You have to realize that reality is on two spheres, two levels. Now, there are two levels of reality. One reality is what we call the natural, the earthly. It's what we ex it's what we live in, right? We, right? Um, there are two spheres, right? Look at look at John three six. John three six, very very important. That which is born of the flesh is what flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Two two levels, two realms two spheres of reality, there are two spheres of reality present. That which is flesh, that which is natural, that which is spiritual, right? There are these two spheres. John teaches that there is the natural, which he calls flesh, right? And the spiritual realm, which he calls spirit, all right? And these realms exist. How do they exist? Totally independent. Totally independent. Totally self there's no there's no in it, there's no like there's no merging of the two. One what is born of the flesh is flesh in its entirety. And what is born of the spirit is what? Spirit. Two completely different. Uh, separated realms, right? There may be, I have to say, there may be correspondence, like there are things in the natural that correspond to things in the spiritual, but that's not the same thing as saying that there's mixture. There's no mixture. Two separate worlds, two separate realities, right? It's something that we have to we have to really reckon, um, um, and the and the reason why the reason why these realms are separate is because the only way to exist in those realms is how. How do you end, how do you how do you exist in any of those realms? 
what is necessary, you got to be born. It's birth. It's, you have to be born into the fleshly realm in order to be in it, and you have to be born into the spirit. There is no, so what people say, but, but I know this lady, she's a witch, and she conjures up all these spirits. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, you know, yeah, they, they could do all that, but that, that doesn't mean that they've been born, right? They've been born. They can, you know, right? They're not really, in, in, in a real sense, they're not a part of that world. They're demonic and all that, but, but the only to go into the realm of the spirit is by birth. There's no other way to enter that in, right? Um, and, and so for that reason, the only people that have true knowledge are believers, born-again believers. You know, it, that's why when we, when we start to understand who we are in Christ, you know, we are the, we, can, we have been given a responsibility no other people on the face of the earth has the responsibility that true believers have. You know, and, um, and so Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, 7, look at John 3, 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And the word there in the Greek is it is necessary. It is necessary that you be born again. Now, the born again part, right, but the born again part, now some, some translation says born from above, right? But let's just take it uh, for born again. Why again? Because clearly if Nicodemus is living, what can we assume? <laughs> what, is, what is obvious about Nicodemus? He's been born into the natural. He's a real person. He's been living in the natural. But why the again part? Why is that? It, it implies what? What does it imply about Nicodemus? That Nicodemus has what? has not been born in the spirit. You must be born again, Jesus tells him. Nicodemus had never been born again. So Nicodemus had no categories to really understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus was trying to communicate knowledge, you know. The engagement with, with Nicodemus and Jesus, I find it very fascinating on so many levels because here you have a man who's not born again talking to a man who's full of the spirit so that's going to be a very interesting uh, intersection and engagement because jesus is like completely full of the spirit so he's speaking out of what he knows and um and, and, and so when jesus tells nicodemus you must be born again look look what nicodemus says in, J in john 3 4 nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old yeah he's like <laughs> Right? He's like, yeah. It's like he, and, but you know what? He's not even laughing. He's like, he's like totally serious. He's got, you know, he's in his professor. Man. This is the height of his old professor. How can I, my man be born when he is old? <laughs> I don't, it's like, he, he's like, but, but all he's doing is he's trying to understand something that Jesus um, spoke to him. And he's using all of his, this is, he's using all of his resources in that question. Right? There, we can assume that he, when G, he heard the question, he activated all the engines of, of intelligence. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> all of it, were, and this is the result. How, how can, can a man be born when he's older? <laughs> right? that, that's it. <laughs> there was nothing that he did not use to come up with a response. 
And he answered a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Nicodemus was in total anguish over this, right? Look at uh, look look in John three nine. Nicodemus says, "How can these things be?" And Nicodemus is a classic example of what I call an unregenerate believer. How can these things be? He's at the He's at his wit's end. He has no more natural resources to deploy to understand. He's, uh, what I like about Nicodemus, he's totally honest. Because I don't know, I've been there like a thousand times with Jesus. I've used up all my resources. And I don't get it, Lord. Have you ever been there? How do we know that he's a believer? We, we, uh, look at John 3, 1, 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. This man, what did he do? What's the first thing he did? He came to whom? Came to Jesus. That's a pretty noble thing to do, it, especially in his, in his place where he's, it, there's a price to be paid for him coming to Jesus, and that's why he has to come by night. The reason he has to come by night is because he can't be seen by his peers, but he comes to Jesus, right? He comes to Jesus by night, and what else does he do? Does he come to Jesus by night, and then there's silence, and then there's like awkward silence between Jesus and him? No, he, he's, verse 2 says, he came to Jesus and he spoke. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs unless God is with them. He believed. He believes who, who Jesus is. He believes that. But look what this believer in John 3, 9, John 3, 9, look how this believer, he says, how can these things be? And there you have it. Unregenerate believers. You could be a believer. That one of the indictments of the American church, let's be honest, is that so many unregenerate believers never anguish over what they listen to. Yep. So many people that have not really been born again, they don't understand anything of what's true and spiritual. They cannot understand. It's, they must be born again. To, to understand, right? I mean, there's no, you know, th the spiritual man is coming from a whole different angle than the, than the carnal man. There's no point of, you know, so why aren't more people in anger? What are you saying, Pastor? I don't get it. There should be more of that. Right? Does that make sense? Why should there be more? Because, because if the man of God is speaking the word of God in the, by the power of the Spirit, and the unregenerate believer has not been born again, he should have a Nicodemus-like experience. How can these things be? I don't get it. I think that's normal. In fact, one of the good signs of true biblical preaching is some people are confused. That's a good sign. I've had people tell me, I have no word. I, people come up to me sometimes, 
I don't have no idea what you're saying. I said, I, I understand. <laughs> and that's okay. But seek and you will. Right? It's okay. Can you believe that even Peter, even Peter, the apostle Peter himself was at times confused? Right? Even apostle, look what he says in 2 Peter 3.15. 2 Peter 3.15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, so he's referring to the apostle Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. So Paul, Peter's recognizing this brother here is like, this guy's wisdom is God. God has given him such wisdom that Peter himself says in verse 16, he says, and so he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Peter himself is like, I need help, Paul. Help me to understand this. I don't think Peter's just saying that for the sake of others. I think Peter's saying that because Peter, just like you and I, we read, how many, how many of us have read Paul? I said, Paul, what are you saying? This is profound. What do you mean? Right? We could just read it on the surface and just like think that we understand it. But when you really consider what Paul is saying many times, it's like, what? Christ in me? The hope of glory? We can either marvel at that, but explain it. Try to give an account for that. That's marvelous. And just because it's marvelous doesn't mean that we necessarily understand it, right? You know, something can be very marvelous. Like, I could look at, I could look at, you know, sometimes, you know, you're watching TV or you're listening to the radio. It's, like, it's marvelous that somebody right now is in China and he's reading, and I'm seeing this video of him right on my screen. How does this happen? And we understand the waves and all that. But it's pretty, I don't understand any of that, but it's marvelous. So sometimes, you know, first of all, true knowledge is spiritual. It's spiritual. It's not, it's something that is in the, in the spirit, is spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I think sometimes we, we reduce biblical teaching to things that the carnal man can understand. And you can do that. You can take the gospel and make it so carnal and um, problem, problem solved, rewards, and just make it so simple that a carnal man can understand. But the reality is, it's much more profound than that. And God wants us to get to grow in all spiritual wisdom, right? He, he wants us, right? We're going back to, right, from the day, Colossians 1.9, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, right? Colossians 1.9. We have not, Paul said, I, I haven't ceased praying for you. I know that you're saved. I know that you're, you know, you know but this is my heart. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's something that Paul is pushing for believers to acquire. Now, there's a tendency to think that these two spheres, the natural and the spiritual, here's the, here's the problem that we do. Oh, the spirit, spirit and, the, and the natural are in contradiction to each other. They, they are opposed to each other. 
That's not what the Bible teaches. You know, it's not all. There is an element of the carnal. Yeah, there is a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a principle within the natural that is in opposition, absolutely. But the natural realm and the spiritual realm are not in opposition to each other. There's a tendency to think the natural realm is evil. Spiritual realm is good. Right? And we get that from a lot of the Greek philosophers. A lot of Greek philosophers kind of saw um, the, the physical life to be like totally to be done away with. And that's not right. And some of our, some of our Christianity adopted some of those ideas. And we, can, and we, we don't know what to do with the natural. So we just, uh, we just glorify the spiritual and as if the natural is just garbage. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Both the natural and the spiritual realms have been ordained by God in their order, in their correct and proper order. You know, it's, it's something we have to engage. Otherwise, we can, we can become this, we can, and, and we, but we have to stay tethered to the scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 46. 15, 46, 1 Corinthians. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Right? Say that with me. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. Yeah, so, so, so what do we have here? First of all, notice that in the design of God, the natural realm has priority. What comes first? The natural. Who's, who, who says? Who says? Who says? God. <laughs> who, who's idea was that? <laughs> say, get behind me, say. No, it's God. God ordained that the natural is first priority. Right? The natural is first with respect to order of existence, order of a being. Maybe we could say there's many things we could talk about in what sense is it first, you know? But it is first in, in the sense of existence. We know that for sure. 1 Corinthians 15 45. If you go back up one verse, he says, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So you can see Adam, natural, Christ, whole different ballgame. Whole different ballgame. Raised from the dead. You see him in John in Revelation. His eyes are like fire. He's Speaks like a uh, he's, he's not he's not human in that sense. He's a superhuman, right? So so for, for the first man Adam became a living being. The last man became so it's necessary in the order of creation that the natural come first. Secondly, the natural being first, it actually implies that it's temporary. If if you already you already right, second second Corinthians four eighteen. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the things that are seen are what? What are they? Transient, temporary. But they're temporary by God's ordainment. You don't, you don't right? God is the one that determines that, but we take that for what it means. And, then, um, and thirdly, the natural is first in the sense that God uses this realm as an image of true knowledge. Does that make sense? As an image of true knowledge. Look at John 3.11. Look at John 3.11. Right? Jesus isn't speaking to Nicodemus about being born again. Right? 
And Jesus is using words, right? He's using words, and there's there's an interesting link between spirit and word. Uh, There's something about the word that that is just, it, it creates this medium of understanding into the spirit. So Jesus says, um, you must be born again. He's using words that it would be very familiar to understand, to give birth. But notice what Jesus says in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. So this is now Jesus saying, I'm, I'm talking to you of true spiritual knowledge. And I bear and bear witness to what we have seen. I've seen, I'm not just. I've experienced it. Remember, I told you that true knowledge is experiential. It's not just something that Jesus knows intellectually, but he's experienced. We've seen that. But you do not receive our testimony. You, right? And, and Jesus is not frustrated. Why is Jesus not frustrated? Because he knows the natural man cannot receive the things of God. He knows it, but it doesn't stop him from communicating it. That's something for us to be to realize that in our communication. Just because somebody doesn't understand doesn't mean you shouldn't speak it to them. Just say it. In verse 12, look what Jesus, if I have told you, what did Jesus tell them? Earthly things. In other words, Jesus is using earthly things, being birthed, being born again, being born. He's using an earthly idea to communicate a spiritual truth. So the natural serves tremendously to educate us of things that are true. Does that make sense? The natural, right? Like you don't have direct access to this spiritual knowledge really apart from the natural. So how do you know the love of the Father, right? Well, Father is a, is a human concept, and there are earthly fathers that do care for their children, and that becomes a framework to understand, right, is an incomplete framework. It's not a perfect framework, but it gives you a sense of, Father, is that the way, the way you love me? And you can begin to understand truth, spiritual truth, looking at natural things. Does that make sense? So, so the natural does have a role to play, and it serves as a tutor, right, for what is true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, this spiritual knowledge, right? But notice, and, and I'll end with this, and we'll pick up next week. But second, that in the in the design of God, the natural, right, has a goal. What is the goal? Let's go back to First First Corinthians fifteen forty six. The natural has a goal. It's not right. What's the goal of the natural? What is the goal? First the natural and then the spiritual. The words first and then indicate sequence. First this, then that. In other words, uh, God always intended a natural to be temporary and to give way to the spiritual. God always intended that. God did not expect for us to terminate on that which is natural, to live our lives. That, 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 do you see your life as a trajectory into that which is spiritual? You should see your life, your call as a believer. You've been called, but now the Holy Spirit is going to start teaching you, 
disciplining you, changing you, so that you can become more and more what? Spiritual. Right? That's the, right? If you don't have that as, uh, right? I mean, let's go, go back um, to, um, let's see, where, where is this? 2 Corinthians 4.18. 2 Paul says, we look not to the things that are seen, but our eyes are on what? The unseen, the spiritual, you know, that we live our lives with a trajectory that we are being changed from glory and we are becoming, we ought to be becoming more and more spiritual. Spiritual in our understanding, spiritual in our perception, spiritual in our priorities, spiritual in our appetite, spiritual in our desires, right? That there ought to be something in us propelling us into, a, into that life that we see Jesus Christ, right? We, we, in other words, you know, like you look, look at Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation and you see this magnificent being like this is like, whoa, this is not a being that you'll find sitting at a baseball game. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm saying like, no, this is a whole different ball game. This guy comes in with eyes flame of fire at, at his presence, just his presence. John drops dead. <laughs> so this is an awesome man. That's where we're going. That's where God intends to take what we have in Christ. He's, he's pushing us towards that life. Amen? Praise God for, for we long for something greater than what we've experienced in the natural. And we have it now in Jesus Christ. Right? He's, he's ushered in something. And now, and I can't believe so many people are content to live in the natural. When the spiritual, that which is spiritual, is calling us to, into a greater call. Amen? So the goal of all creation, the goal God intended to be a spiritual end, not, it, it's what's not supposed to terminate in the natural. The goal, and then the spiritual. Amen? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 44. 1 Corinthians 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised what? Spiritual body. When God calls us to die to our lives, he's calling you to die in order that you might be raised again in, in, in newness of life with new affections. Like, and this happens today. This happens now. You don't have to wait. This is not just saying, oh, one day I will die of cancer. <laughs> no, that's not talking about that. Yeah, that's part of it. That's the climax of it probably. But, but in our daily lives, we're called to die, called to die to that which is carnal, to that which is earthly in us, right? right? In order that we may be raised in a spiritual body, a spiritual dimension, right, of greater capacity, greater fullness in Christ, overcoming the powers of darkness, right? Amen? Like, like that's, that's the trajectory of the believer. Raise a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And that's why the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important, because it was the resurrection. This was not available to us. The spirit world was completely closed to you and I. When Adam sinned, Adam completely lost that part of him. Right, so I always say it, this is just my opinion. <laughs> but 
the unregenerate man is two parts, his body and soul. The regenerate man is three parts, body, soul, and guess what? Spirit renewed in Christ. But the, the, but the spirit of the unregenerate is completely dead. But it was Christ in his resurrection when Christ as a man rose from the dead. He just didn't just raise himself from the dead. He ushered in access into the spirit world, right, where God is in his fullness. He made access so that we can enter into that world. Amen? So the natural is passing away. And the point I'm trying to make is that both the natural and the spiritual realm have been ordained by God in their proper order. Next week, we'll look at Romans 8, 6. I'll give it to you now, but we'll, we'll end here. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life. You know, and we're talking about spirit, knowledge is spiritual. And I'm just laying some groundwork to kind of set the tone to grow um, in this knowledge that is spiritual. God wants us to grow in spiritual knowledge, not just Bible knowledge. Bible, I know a lot of professors are going to hell. A lot of theologians are going to hell. They know the Bible better than I do. Right? You want to go into, you want to have a Bible fight with the Pharisees? Good luck. I, I, my money is going to the Pharisees. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't take it personal. <laughs> but they, they know the Bible better than all, all of us. And they were haters of Jesus Christ. Right? And so we could, we could you know, the, 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 the issue here is are we growing spiritually? Are we growing to understand the things of the spirit? The realities of the scriptures. Little by little growing. You're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna grow like all, all of a sudden overnight, you've got you got it all now. No, it's, it's little by little. Are we growing spiritually and how is it impacting our lives? So we'll we'll take this up. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for a reminder, Jesus, that um we just gotta be reminded everything in our lives is so consumed oftentimes in the natural and the what you, what you call the cares of life can be oftentimes so overwhelming. And the word is, is, is taken from us, and we ch it chokes the word. And it is that word that it works in our hearts to change us and to make us more and more like Jesus. I pray today, Lord, that, that as we continue this exhortation, an instructional exhortation, that we can, Lord, take, Lord, this goal of the Christian life serious, that you want us to grow in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would not just be content with just knowing, becoming familiar with Bible stories. And so I pray, Lord, today for your hand to be upon us and to teach us your ways. Help us all, Lord, to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thank you, Father, for, for this word. Thank you for all that you've done today. Thank you for the prayers. Thank you, Lord, for the songs. Thank you, Jesus, for the, this time together here. I pray that you would bless everyone as they go home. May you, oh Lord, just encourage everyone today to Lord, to sow. God is not mocked. Whatever a soul 
a man sows, he shall also reap. If we reap to the flesh, if we sow to the flesh, we shall reap corruption. But if we sow to the spirit, Lord, we will reap eternal life. And so I pray that you help us to reap, Lord, to the spirit, God, and, and to invest our lives and our time in that which is spiritual for the glory of your name. And so thank you for all that you've done today. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, Lord bless you. We'll continue next week. We'll stop right there. We're, we're not keeping too long.